Although, I've seen some scripts I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Billy Das, the Indie Dork. What's up, Billy? I'm really excited for this amazing conversation that we're uh, about to share with our listeners. Yeah, it's super cool. Super cool. Yeah. So we went down. Oh, wait, wait. Did what? you did you notice that I didn't use rad? I did notice you didn't use rad. So I went with super cool, <laughs> super cool. I said it twice. Okay. And uh, I'm done with rad. Uh, well, hold on. Well, let's, no. Yeah. Oh, because last episode we said we are still. We're still using We're still rad. using yeah, rad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe next episode we'll use rad. All right. All right, but this is a super cool conversation, and yes. actually, it's a really rad conversation. Okay, there, it I've is. done it. it there, is. I've done it. Uh, as you may or may not know, we've been uh, celebrating the Overlook Film Festival. Yeah. Uh, earlier this month, we went down to New Orleans and partook in the many movies that they provided, the many podcast recordings that they provided, uh, Grady Hendrix's oh, yeah. uh, Astonishing Paperbacks from Hell uh, so, so good. If you have not gone to the Overlook Film Festival, you need to correct your life and put it on your program for next year because that's what Billy and I are going to be doing. Absolutely. Right, Billy? Yeah. All right. That's an audio. No, We're doing it. It's 100%. All right. Yeah, I agree. So this episode, uh, we are talking to the producers behind Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, which you can watch right now on Shudder. Uh, this is an essential experience and worth the subscription to Shudder alone. It is an honor to have Dr. Robin Armines Coleman on the show alongside Ashley Blackwell and Tanana Reevedu. These are three amazing creators and to be able to talk to them about horror noir, to get them to provide a little extra context to the documentary itself and its creation is a genuine treat. I mean, they're brilliant. And I like, I don't know, every now and then you meet people who are just really smart and really, really sharp about what they know and, and, and the things that they are experts on. And just holy shit, that just washes over you. Um, and, you know, we start out the conversation where they kind of note the fact that it is special um, that there are three African-American women coming together to uh, celebrate uh, the black contribution to uh, film over the years. And it is special and it is unique. What I love is that Horror Noir has been out on Shudder since April, and here they are still hitting the festival circuit, bringing Horror Noir to the Overlook Film Festival and getting it in front of as many people as possible because there is an amazing story to be told here. Uh, So, yes, let's jump into this conversation. And uh, if you haven't, go over to Shudder, get a free trial, watch Horror Noir, it's Come super listen cheap, to this. guys. Like, it's, Shut- Shutter is totally affordable, and they got a whole bunch of other great stuff, but watch this movie. Yes. So let's get into it, and we'll meet you back on the other side. All right, here we are in the Hotel Peter and Paul. We are very, very excited. We have the filmmakers of Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror with us today. I'd like them to introduce themselves since we have multiple guests on, and if you could do that. Let's go. Let's start left to right. 
Okay. Hi. Classroom. <laughs> this is Robin Means Coleman. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. I'm the author of Horror Noir, the book, and also executive, executive producer of the movie. This is Ashley Blackwell. I am the co-writer and producer. I'm Tanana Reeve-Dew. I am uh, a horror author, and I teach at UCLA, a class called The Sunken Place, and I'm an executive producer on Horror Noir. Thank you wait, so wait, much. No, I didn't get to go. Oh. And I'm Billy Dass. We don't care about Billy Dass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or at least Brad, Brad Gullickson doesn't care about Billy Dass. Uh, so, Robin, your book comes out in 2011. Yes, sir. And, you know, it, it comes out and you live with the reception of that book. And then now it is translated into this documentary. Yes. And what is that experience like, having lived with it as a book, and then the process of it becoming the film? Yes. So first, um, we, I just have to acknowledge that there are three brilliant, I'm including myself in that. Um, <laughs> I allow it. Black women here, and that is really important to kind of acknowledge for the genre, for what has happened with horror noir. Um, a lot of the kudos goes to Ashley, who really helped make this project happen. So I do want to do a clap on, on audio for Ashley. So yes, the book comes out in 2011, and Ashley read the book and, and was a fan, and I was absolutely surprised that it the book would come back around. I spent about ugh, 15 years of my life researching the book, and so then it was done, mm -hmm. and now it's back, and that's really amazing, and uh I'm working to bring it up to date mm -hmm. uh, since so much has happened between 11 and, uh, and, and a 19, 20. Happened, yeah. A lot has happened. Yeah. Um, but I still think uh, clearly that the book had um, a lot to say about blacks and their participation in the genre. And I think it set us up for what we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. And what was the impetus to finally make it into a film, Ashley? Um, I have to give credit to Phil Nibble Jr. Um, he's now the editor-in-chief of Angoria. Um, he was, he's a really um, great friend of mine. Honestly, I didn't realize the impact that Graveyard Shift Sisters, the website that I developed, which is really about documenting and looking at the present and what's going to happen with black women specifically in the horror genre. And he was reading this website and I was just kind of, and, and honestly, it was, it's kudos to Robin and that book because I found that book and I was so invigorated and rejuvenated by this, this wealth of receipts about black participation in horror, in the horror film genre. And, you know, I was really frustrated the fact that no one was really paying attention to this work. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to use it kind of as a, as a foundation for the kind of work that I wanted to engage in and speaking about black women. And Phil was reading this website because there was nothing really else out right. there um, in horror film criticism digitally that was covering this stuff. And so we developed a friendship out of it. We met at a, a horror convention in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and we kind of just stayed in touch after that. And so, you know, at the time, we worked for a production company, Stage 3, which is also a part of putting Horror Noir together. And, you know, he was working there at the time. Get Out comes out. He was like, I have to talk to Ashley about this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he also thought about the fact that, you know, he was a little, you know, having a... Having, um, a say at stage three about, you know, well, I really want to bring a project to life that really, you know, we have Get Out as this big... Um, what's the word? Uh, it, it, it it blows up and becomes bigger than I think. A lot it's of like a watershed moment, or seemingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and so I'm like, that's a great starting point for like telling this history. Like we can start from here and then kind of go back. And so he approached me about producing this project because he knew I knew my stuff. And so I was like, great. And so, you know, for about a year, we spent some time um, shopping around to certain people. One day we're in Santa Monica and I looked to film. I'm like, let's just talk to Shutter. <laughs> just because we were kind of like, you know, relatively exhausted at that point. Um, about, you know, trying to find different avenues and different ways, like who could we also pitch this to, who might be really interested. And so again, you know, it went from Phil to Sam Zimmerman, who's now a curator at Shudder, and Sam was really our, our biggest cheerleader. He was the mediator between, you know, stage three and Shudder. And um, Jordan Peele was at Oscar, and they called us the next day. So, <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, that's kind of how we got into production. And, you know, Robin was nice enough to, you know, she was like, wow, yeah, let's do this. And, they, and Kelly and Phil, Kelly is also the executive producer mm-hmm. at Stage 3, we got on the phone with her, and we made this happen. You know, I, um, I think a lot about, um, especially uh, writing about women working in filmmaking, I, I think a lot about how kind of people talk about like, oh, we need to grow our next generation of, of women filmmakers. You know, we need to push them out into there. And I think it's easy to overlook the fact that it's not that you need to bring women there. It's that, you know, women have been there the entire time. And, and I think that story is very true for black women and black men working in film. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, you, 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 the, the movie starts out with, I'm really worried about what's going to happen with Get Out, and I'm very concerned about how this movie is going to land. Um, are you optimistic about the future in the sense of bringing more cultural history to light and, and you know, pe- more people engaging with the, the legacy of black people working in film? Uh, Tanan Reeve, I'll answer that. I'll take my first stab at that one. The film ends on a very optimistic note, and, and I think some of that is very warranted. Things have definitely changed, but I think even with a short passage of time, mm-hmm. it's clear that it will take more than a documentary, more than Robin's book, <laughs> and more than even just sort of that casual education about it right. to make real change happen. Yeah. It's because we, as I said at the premiere, and I made basically an appeal because there are a lot of movers and shakers in that audience, we need to see more adaptations of black horror fiction. You know, this is where there's a big, uh, because 50% of Hollywood films are adaptations, mm-hmm. but we haven't had any that I can think of adaptations from black literature right. uh, in horror and I love Jordan Peele he's the reason I'm teaching that class he's the reason we're all sitting here having this conversation frankly despite that rich history that's in the documentary mm-hmm. he was that linchpin that's like aha right. I can teach a course on black horror now but it, Hollywood is a tough system to navigate so people can be very well meaning but the, the basis for decisions is driven by so many factors that have nothing to do with being well-meaning. It's like, well, who already has a name? Well, that automatically cuts out anybody who hasn't had anything produced yet. Right. And, and uh, I could go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very difficult thing to keep pushing that boulder up the mountain. But I'm really glad that Horror Noir exists. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that we could update it, you know, yeah. in a couple years. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, while I appreciate that the film ends on this optimistic note, I find myself being very... I'm not optimistic. I find myself being very um, pessimistic, the opposite. Uh, you know, we got the 2020 election coming up. I'm very worried. Um, and when I, when, and, and it's baked into the documentary, you know, there was uh, the 70s and black exploitation, and then it leads into the 80s, and then whatever kind of progress, if you can call that progress, happened in the 70s sort of fades away. And then in the 90s, we have another boom. And... In the aughts, things are changing. We're seeing how we have to now comment on tropes and cliche. 
but we're not quite there. And then now we're, you know, I think because of the times that we're living in and the fear that we have uh, in the society that we have, that we need to converse with our art and we're ready for that. And like something like Get Out comes out and it hits really hard. But how do we sustain that? So it, the, in the book, Horror Noir actually ends on a really optimistic note as well. Mm-hmm. And I point to two things, and that is, well, the, the first is technology. Um, and that there's a new accessibility to mm-hmm. technology and filmmaking. Um, and then the second is that black audiences are willing to sort of travel, quote unquote travel. And that means they're willing to travel away from Hollywood movies, away mm-hmm. from the big screen. And so that's where the optimism resides in understanding that it does not, the, the, the renaissance is that where everyone is talking about right now is Hollywood renaissance. Mm-hmm. But uh, people of color, um, African-Americans, Latinx filmmakers, not only have they always been there, but they are really thriving right now in this period. They are responding to the pessimism mm-hmm. that people are feeling in this country. And I think audiences are willing to follow those filmmakers. It's Hollywood that may be lagging behind at this point, but the genre itself is taking off. Right. And do we need Hollywood? I, I say no. <laughs> I say no. Yeah. I think that there's a real opportunity to be exploited outside of Hollywood, and I hope that they'll listen. Mm-hmm. Ashley here. Um, I don't think that yeah, we don't need Hollywood, but we do need money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's the biggest um, thing because I, I'm kind of on the ground with this because I'm really trying to push for like all of these talented filmmakers to get their stuff made but they really but it's not like they don't just want to make just they don't want to just grab their iPhone and make a movie they want to make real cinematic work and it takes it takes money it takes word of mouth it takes getting people to rally even if we do have to crowdfund I know some people hate doing that I get it but if we really want to you know uh get you know if we want these filmmakers to build their resumes and um you know have ha- have something substantial that they can bring to maybe bigger funders then that's kind of where we have to start it's it's a harder hustle but i feel like that's where we where we have to do it's just like it, we have to it's that whole twice as hard to get half of what you know other people have sure kind of a deal. yeah tanana reeve here um there are so many filmmakers out there making those shorts, using those iPhones, and at least we can work toward dispelling the myth that black creators don't make horror mm, and that yes. black viewers don't like horror. Because I remember not too long ago when Sleepy Hollow was on the air, and that was a really disappointing series for a lot of black horror fans because it mm. presented almost as a black horror season, the series in season one, and then, I don't know if it was Network Notes or whatever yeah, happened. Goodbye, yeah. Boom, uh, yeah characters in jail, the whole family's gone, and Nicole Bahari, the star, is sidelined, and it was a very disappointing uh, experience, and we were hearing back from the show, well, they have trouble finding black horror writers, and that drives me, or there are no black horror writers, which has never been true, less true now than ever before, so if we can just dispel the myth that there aren't any black horror creators, that's the first step toward making sure, in addition to those independent productions where people have to put all that blood, sweat, and tears into raising money and, and using substandard equipment and having people work for free, you can get more people in the room, in the writer's room for television, because I think television could be a leader in black horror. Mm-hmm. I absolutely With agree. all those platforms. There's, there's so much money in TV right now. Yeah. There's so much space. Like, how much money does Amazon and Netflix throw around? I mean, with multi-billion dollar war chests, why are you not 
growing the writing rooms. Right, right, and some of them are. And some sure, are. sure, There's sure, still sure, ways sure, to go. Sure, There's sure. still ways to go, and we have these disappointments. Like um, I think the series uh, Brujas on Netflix and Netflix. Black Witches was like no. <laughs> <laughs> So there's still work to do to mm. overcome the tropes. I, I, I would say on Twitter that if there's a, a script that only has like one black person in it or there, a black person is written into a script, it's usually an American cinema to fulfill a trope. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so and, and not enough attention is given to texture and context and humanization because mm-hmm. everyone recognizes trope oh okay that guy right well and I think that's what happens when you're like when you feel like oh well I write people right. and I can just <laughs> drop a person into this role but like that changes the whole context of how you're interacting with the story as a writer and a creator if you're not doing that it, you're, you're you're doing Shooting exactly something. what, you're, what yeah. you're describing. Absolutely. Well, if horror noir does anything, it shows that, you know, black writers, black fiction has always been there. Uh, and, you know, we tend to think of it as like, oh, we've now just discovered this thing because of Get Out. And, like, you realize, well, really how laughable that is. Uh, you know, even within your short lifespan, there's been so many stories out there. So my question is, like, for Robin, when you're writing that book, where do you... Like, you start at the beginning, and Tanarive, you say, you know, black history is black horror, and that you begin at the beginning. Uh, but how do you structure the horror noir discovery process, I guess? Sure. The book starts with the 1890s, and there's been a black presence in horror movies since the very beginning. It wasn't always black actors playing black folks in these movies. There's a lot of um, whites in blackface. Uh, But the violence itself, which we try to capture in the film, is absolutely horrific. Uh, There are these shorts. There's one that's called, um, I think it's 1904, uh, A Nigger in a Woodpile, which is supposed to be for white audiences a comedy, but for black audiences was certainly one of the more violent films, which is essentially a short where uh, a deacon and his wife um, are are blown up with dynamite, and so that so it's quite literally, um, uh, you know, they're charred and, mm. and burned, and so these are kind of early representations that are horrific. And I think what I work to do in the book is to separate out the kind of uh, definition of modern horror that we see, and also kind of the effect affective response that black audiences would have to some very early movies where the violence is inflicted on them, which is why I start with Birth of a Nation as well and and describe it as a horror film. Mm -hmm. Did you know where you were going to go as the timeline went? Like what films you were going to highlight, what performers, actors... Absolutely not. So, <laughs> um, so I had worked at a number of different universities mm. during the process of the book. The University of Pittsburgh twice, New York University, the University of Michigan. And each of those locations afforded me access either through their library system, um, horror movies, or I was in a part of the country I could travel to. But it wasn't until I got to the University of Michigan, which few people know has the largest collection of horror films in mm. the country, if not the world. Did not know that. That I know. <laughs> um, international, <laughs> domestic. And so I, they were delivering a couple hundred horror films to me per week. What an amazing resource. I know. 
Yeah, it was so incredible. And then if they didn't have it, they would order it for me on the spot. So they were fully invested in me watching these films. And then I had a professor from the psychology department who at some point, they thought I was walking around. I'd been, I was watching sometimes two horror films at the same time on two different screens, on, on DVD or VHS, and going through them and taking notes. And she thought that I, my the way that I was viewing the world had changed from watching just hundreds and hundreds of horror films. Everything yeah. looked like a kind of a horror film to me, and I would walk around and say, wow, are you seeing those curtains? That's creepy. <laughs> you know? So it was a lot of fun to write. How important is it for the audience of horror noir to watch this film and then actually go back and experience the history themselves, to watch those short films from the early films, The Watch Birth of a Nation. How important is it for an audience member to do to do that? I think two, two things. The first is it's really important to see what some of the wellsprings are. A lot of things that you see in contemporary horror today, you'll say, oh, mm-hmm. that's where they got that. That's where the stereotypes or the tropes came from. But you also see that filmmakers are always borrowing from an earlier period. And the second is, is that horror noir could have been the film could have been three hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of what it was. There is so much that we weren't able to get into the film that mm-hmm. is presented in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that don't make it at all, and some things that go by very quickly. There's a whole sort of subgenre of um, you know like hip hop, hip hop horror, which was a lot of fun to watch mm-hmm. that we just barely hit. There is a huge genre of Obama horror. There were a ton of horror movies made when Barack Obama was elected. Some of them were, you know, in celebration of Uh his election. Others were deeply, yes, deeply (laughs) disturbing. So there was a lot, there's a lot there to still be mined. I just want to say we did originally pitch this as a four-part series. We wanted that full mm-hmm. three, you know, that full circle um, documentary, but pared it down to about ninety minutes. Sure, but, but I, is, yeah, I think there's a sequel, happens. right? There should be a sequel. There I think there's room for a sequel. Yeah, I hope there is a sequel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to add to yeah, please do to not read here that I think it is important, especially if people haven't seen Birth of a Nation. I hate to inflict it upon people. Considering our current political climate, mm-hmm. people who don't watch it with that critical lens, I mean, I've heard from people on Twitter that their professor assigned that film just for the camera angles with no context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, that's how I watched it, by <laughs> right? the way. So, yeah. so this is, this is and, and all of what we're going through now is prophecy and forecast. And, yeah. and, you know, this is the era when those Confederate statues were going up. You mm-hmm. know, these same Confederate yeah. statues we're trying to take down today. Yeah. It's propaganda. And to understand the role of propaganda in politics is hugely important. But also, in terms of the more recent films, it's, it's so hypnotic sometimes, especially as a horror fan. And you were looking for that scare to just sort of skate across the surface of what a film is showing you mm-hmm. without really engaging with it and mm-hmm. interrogating it more deeply. Mm-hmm. Filmgoers are going to have to be more critical. You know, we can't be the ones screaming, right. sacrificial Negro, hello, mm-hmm. right, you know, right. every single time. It's the viewers, you know, who are going to have to be able to see that for themselves and help call it out so that no one will have that impulse to, to use that trope again. How, so I think a lot about that. Um, like, you know, um, not, it's not directly related, but, you know, when, when Filmstruck ended, uh, everybody was really concerned with the amount of like film history that was going to go away from easy access for people. And, you know, in the aftermath of that, I thought, well, gosh, what actually is doing kind of that service of, 
you know, here are the things that you should watch. This is why they're important. This is why they matter. This is the critical lens that you might apply to that. I think for us who talk about film a lot, it's very easy to approach movies like literature and kind of unpack them and what they mean mm -hmm. culturally and what the like the way that the story is working and the function that it's doing. But I feel like that's a standard deviation or two removed from sort of the average film goer and, and how they approach movies. But movies are essential, like like Roger Ebert said, right? They're they're empathy machines. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's the roadmap that gives us the illusion of a shared experience that helps us see people as people, right? How do we foster that desire to look at movies more critically and and make people to see that there's value in doing that? Whew, that's a mouthful. Education. <laughs> that, you know, education. I would hope that a viewer of horror noir would be better armed to go into a theater. And even if you enjoy, I'm not going to name any names, but there was a Netflix movie that was very popular and a lot of people liked. It had some really obvious sacrificial, sacrificial Negro tropes. Yeah. And, and I want them to notice that. I want the executives to notice. I want the screenwriters to notice that. Mm. And that, that just takes education. I think that humanities has been under attack generally in, in higher education. So mm. arts and humanities mm. need to be re-privileged in education, as Tanana Reeve said. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the second is, is that we have lost film critics. There was a moment, there was a, a long uh, period in our history where the morning news had you know, really strong film critics as a part of its right. news segment. Yeah. And we got rid of we got rid of those really smart people who were yeah. um, in some ways operating independently and weren't entirely owned by the network and then the studio houses. Well, they got rid of all of those folks. And I think that was um, the general public's access to um, a way to think smartly and critically about films before they went to go see them. And that's an unfortunate loss. Yeah, it seems like there is a, a, a great hunger for entertainment and art right now. And, you know, you tweet about any movie, you're going to get a, a thousand responses about that movie, uh, if not more. Uh, but the conversation is it stays at a tweet or it stays at a headline to an article or it stays at a thousand words that I can sell. <laughs> you know, yeah. going beyond that, it, it, like, how do we? I mean, I, I have. I don't know how we beat that. I don't know. Like, how do we get people excited to to think critically? And I, I, well, I think it's things like horror noir. You watch horror noir and you realize that there is more to the film that you're watching now. Like, there is a history to that film. There are many creators that brought get out to you know the cinemas, and that's what horror noir does for me. Well, that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and. Just to continue the evangelizing conversation, the movie's been out on Shutter for a while, but you guys are here at the Overlook Film Festival, still championing it. <laughs> hey, you know, like, too. Yes. so like, what brings you to the Overlook to to keep you know getting horror noir in front of people? I guess just simply to um, continue this conversation because I think um, there are more movies coming out that. Um, people can put a critical eye on and kind of talk about. Again, I agree with both Robin and Tanana Reeve about um, education being the best resource. Also, social media. I think a lot of people, I think many masses of people, like you said, um, you get a thousand responses. They're really paying attention to what, you know, people who they do respect as film critics and people who understand film on a, on a specific level. Um, they're looking for... Uh, what uh, insight into in, into these films and also um, how to incorporate um, that critical thinking when they're going into these films as well. 
that makes any sense. And, and sometimes, as an educator especially, rather than looking at the broad view, you have to sort of look at the micro. So I yeah. have classes and individual students who uh, I allow to make short films as their final project. Mm-hmm. So I have students in my horror class, they make short horror films. This term is Afrofuturism, which also includes horror, so they're also making science fiction horror films. So one at a time, I'm hoping to just help empower those creators who can't yeah. be repressed, who have that energy, who have that enthusiasm. Super proud of one of my former students, Camille Oshindara, who's working at Monkey Pop Productions, Jordan yeah. Hill's yeah. production company now. She started as an intern. Less than a year, I open up Hollywood Reporter, there's her face. And she got a job. And she's there as a cultural executive. And I think this is something that needs to be modeled at other production companies. A cultural executive, I think they made it up. <laughs> but her job is to take those things that she learned. She read Robin's book, you know, in my class. She, she's armed with this information so she can look at the scripts and see deeply into them more quickly than someone who's untrained would. And she's not going to have the blind spots. And we need to just make that an industry standard, not mm-hmm. just for black horror, but for right. all kinds Everybody. of yeah. 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 Well, you have a screening you have to get to. Uh, yeah. And I, I could talk to the three of you all day long, and I would love to. Uh, so thank you for joining us uh, today. Before you go, I would like you to offer our listeners... Uh, a film from horror noir where they can start their journey backwards. If you could pick one movie to begin, you know, whether it's, you know, Tales from the Hood or Blackula, you know, Death by Temptation, like where should they begin their journey uh, in, into, into the history of horror noir? You're brand new to black horror. Yes, brand new. I think I know what Tanana Reeve is going to say, but go ahead. Because we usually fight over the same film. You start. Can we say get out? Because that's my sure. my baby right now. I just I'm so grateful to that film. I'm so grateful to Jordan Peele for making that film. Because no matter how much we struggle, it's evidence that audiences will support horror that has teeth. You know, horror that wants to be about something, wants to say something racially, and um, so it's open doors for us, and it will continue to open doors. Ashley, oh, this is tough. Um, I guess I'll stray from the path and say uh, I'll say Demon Knight. Yeah. yeah. We are, we're sponsoring that film at the Alamo Draft House oh, in great. June. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. I wish you could be there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Demon Knight. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go. So usually we fight over Eve's Bayou. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, but I'm going to go. Oh, is, there, is it 30, 34? There's a movie called Chloe Love is Calling You. Mm. Um, and it is not a black horror per se. Um, it is. Um, it's a film about a black woman who seeks retribution um, against a plantation owner, or, uh, an owner of a turpentine plantation, for lynching her husband. And this is one of the earliest films where you have a black woman as a star. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that she lives. She survives the movie, Whoa. and okay. um, it, it touches on. Um, uh, you know, sort of this post-slavery era when black folks are still enslaved. It post uh, speaks to um, kind of mixed race identity. It, it's it's a really interesting, complex film, and um, it's not unproblematic. There's all kinds of voodoo, voodoo stereotypes, but there's also a bit of, of gender bending going on, and I think it's a complex film. 
And it was not how audiences were to view it. Black folks were certainly to be viewed as um, deviant and deficient, but I think that there's a way to watch it and subvert that message. All right. It's free on YouTube, I think. It's free on YouTube. All right. That's where I'm going tonight. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It really was a pleasure. Horror Noir is on Shudder right now. If you're not at the Overlook Film Festival, watch it on Shudder. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And there you go. Pretty cool to hear them guide our listeners and myself to the films that they think are wonderful starts on this history tour of black horror. Well, and I, I actually, I think that that's a lovely question to end on because I think the, the single biggest thing that I take away from, you know, sort of this whole experience and this whole documentary is the importance of somebody coming along and saying, Hey, you know, it's a really cool movie that might open some doors for you. This one, which whichever that might be, whatever their selection is. And uh, finishing off to have three or four movies that you can then just sort of uh, go track down and watch to start your journey. I think it's amazing. Well, it's a lot like what you were talking about with Grady Hendrix and Paperbacks from Hell, right? You watch his presentation and you go, okay, well, now I have to read every Christopher Pike and R.L. <laughs> Stein novel in existence. Right, exactly. And when you watch Horror Noir, you immediately have to start watching other movies. You have to understand and 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 celebrate this massive uh treasure trove of cinematic history yeah yeah and uh yeah so like when i got done with horror noir i i rewatched tales from the hood because i had seen that back in the 90s and i remember liking it fine but i wasn't in love with it at the mm -hmm. time and then rewatching it in 2019 you go whoa there's a lot going on in Tales from the Hood. Yeah. This movie's amazing. And Ernest Dickerson's Bones and uh, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, like Ashley Blackwell says. That's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I'm excited to see it as part of the Psychorama slumber party that's occurring at the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester. Actually, as you're listening to this, it's already happened. Yes. Uh, so if you didn't go to that, <laughs> your loss. Uh, but what a treat to see horror noir on the big screen, to see films like Tales from the Hood and Tales from the Crypt on the big screen. And what horror noir does is shine a light on these movies and hopefully gets more attention to those films, those stories, those creators. And uh, yeah, just continues the story of black horror. Yeah. So, Billy, next week we've got Larry Fessenden on the show. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, another long, in-depth conversation. <laughs> uh, we share a few beers with Larry over oh, yeah. the course of that chat. He's here to talk about his new movie, Depraved, which will premiere on September 13th of this year. It's his take on the Frankenstein mythology. He's actually kind of tackled Mary Shelley's work before, mm -hmm. but this is his most direct adaptation. Oh, yeah. Although it's not a mimicry of Shelley's work. It's, no, not at all. It's, it's, an, uh, it's, it's, it's a change. It's, I mean, you'll yeah. see, he undersells it as, as a low-budget uh, thing that he kind of did to get his story out there in the world. But you know what? I really enjoyed the movie. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. It's pretty damn good. So come back next week. We're talking to Larry. He is a legend in his own right. Uh, watch his movies that are at your disposal right now. Habit, The Last Winter, Wendigo. Uh, yeah. Go see The Dead Don't Die. He shows up in that yeah. film alongside Bill Murray. He's great in the ghouls. movie. Ghouls. Ghouls. <laughs> I can't do the Adam Driver ghouls. You're better at it. Uh, and yeah, so come back next week. And Billy, where can our listeners find you online right now? Sure. You can find me at WBDAS on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Uh, and you can also find me at Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures, which is a podcast that I co-host with my nine-year-old daughter where we work together to expand her cinematic horizons. 
And you can follow the podcast at ItModcast on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the other dorks, Darren Smith at the Disco Dork, Brian Young at the Turtle Dork, Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren, and I, of course, am Brad Gullickson at Mouth Dork on all social medias. And until next time, guys, take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams 